Hi, I'm Julia Busby, and welcome to Finding Her. I'm a human juggler of this life just like you, a mom of three, a wife, and a creative teacher turned podcaster. I also despise housework while I continue to pretend to enjoy cooking. Sorry, mom. I created this show because we need to normalize talking about mental health in our communities. Currently, one in five suffer from a mental health condition. Each week, I will drop episodes that open the door to conversations that revolve around real-life topics. I invite expert guests to the table while offering you tips, strategies, a whole poop load of vulnerabilities to help guide you on your own journey, while also acknowledging that you too are indeed normal. Let's talk all things preventative mental health. Let's do this. Welcome to the show, Diane Wingert. I'm so happy to be with you today, Julia. Yes, and I would like to stop just for a second and ask you a question that I ask everyone that comes on the show. What are you grateful for today? To tell you the truth, I am actually grateful for a childhood full of trauma and abuse. And I know that's going to sound totally (laughs) crazy, but I'd be happy to explain why. Okay, go ahead. Okay. To be honest with you, it was not so fun when it was happening, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I realized many years later when I was in training to become a therapist that those years helped me become very aware, very resilient, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. actually very compassionate, believe it or not. Wow, that's powerful, too. All right. I'm grateful that the damn sun is out today in Oregon. I know, me too. And it's it's (laughs) October. So that's like, that's, that's very unusual. Yeah. So can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, you'd have to stop me from not telling you too much about myself because I'm quite a talker. (laughs) But um, I am in the sixth decade of my life. I recently moved a year and a half ago from Los Angeles, where I have lived my entire life to Portland, Oregon, just (gasps) before things just started breaking loose all over the place here. I've had three careers, three children, three husbands, and I seem to like threes, but I am currently, <laughs> I am currently the host of a podcast called The Driven Woman, mm-hmm. and I am a coach for women with ADHD. And that's how I found you. I want to tell everybody I was on the Book of Faces, and I met Diane, and we talked about ADHD. And so today we're going to be talking about women being identified in adulthood with ADHD. Mm-hmm quite fascinating. I have a close friend of mine who is in her early thirties that was just diagnosed and it was just kind of coming out of nowhere at first, she said, but then when she really thought about it and talked to it, her therapist about it, then she understood and was able to backtrack and think about her whole life since she was little. So can you tell us some more about that, Diane? Absolutely. Yeah, I have kind of an interesting history with ADHD myself, because I started having kids uh, in my middle 20s. And Mm -hmm. my first child was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of eight, happens to be a boy. And this was in the 90s when ADHD was so prominent for boys that it actually made it to the cover of a magazine that doesn't exist anymore, but many people listening may have heard of, Time Magazine. It -hmm. was said to be the diagnosis of the decade. And the reason why is that although the diagnosis had, had existed before, a lot more kids were being identified. But at that time, they were all boys. And because I 
was a good mom and I was trying very hard to help my son. I had three kids, but he was the oldest and he was really struggling. Mm -hmm. I learned so much about ADHD to help my son that I ended up making the decision to leave the medical sales career I was in, go back to graduate school and become a clinical social worker so I could work with families like ours. Well, here I am at UCLA in my graduate studies. I'm actually working with a bunch of boys with ADHD. And I asked my professors, so you tell me that they outgrow this, right? Like my son and all these other kids that I'm working with, they're going to outgrow this by the time they're adults, right? And they say, yes, that is that is the current thinking in the psychiatric community. And I said, have you met any of their parents? <laughs> and they were like, why, what? And I said, well... I mean, I, I could be wrong here, but I've met a number of these dads and I'm pretty sure this isn't going away. Well, fast forward, I ended up doing my master's thesis on the possibility that ADHD actually persists into adulthood because wow. according to my observations, it did. Now, this was 25, 30, it was actually almost 30 years ago. And at that time, uh, I suppose if I had stuck with it, I might have been credited for being the person who discovered that ADHD Ooh. actually turned, but in true ADHD fashion, because many years later, I discovered I too am ADHD. I graduated, went on to do other things and promptly forgot all about it. Of course, I continued to help my son, but ADHD was no longer front and center in my life. Well, some years later, my third child, a daughter now in college, is struggling and mm. she goes to a doctor and next thing you know and by the way she was gifted so she didn't have the same kind of struggles my son had my son could not keep his hands to himself could not stay in his seat could not keep his mouth closed it was just all over the place and aggressive and very bright mm -hmm. but very hyperactive so marissa had none of those kinds of problems she was a great student um very bright very creative and i thought what the heck so you're like I, lies. I know. Right. But then I'm like, oh, wait a second. Didn't I do a thesis on this? But here's the missing ingredient, the gender, because Ooh. back in the early nineties, it, it was a son and the dads. And so it was like, wait a minute. What if the question isn't only does ADHD in little boys continue on to be ADHD in grown men? what's happening with the little girls and then the women they become. And that started really opening things up. Well, one thing finally leads to another. My daughter is diagnosed with ADHD and many years later, so am I. And the reason why neither one of us was identified sooner mm -hmm. is because ADHD looks very different in females than it does in males. And because no one was looking for it, generally speaking, we were not disrupting the classroom and that's where people get pointed out. Ooh, that's so good. It's autism. also true. <laughs> yes. Right? Autism, excuse me, is like that as well. It's, it's hard for them to diagnose in girls versus boys. Yes. And this is what's so crazy about it. Um, and I use the word crazy, just crazy to mean illogical, irrational, makes no sense. 
the only reason why anyone is going to come to a teacher's attention is if they are disrupting the classroom. Now, of course, everything is completely different in the time being because we are in this pandemic quarantine extended situation right. that's just right. totally bizarre. But in a regular classroom that is designed for a neurotypical child who can sit still for hours at a time, who can pay attention most of the time, who can focus on the task at hand and isn't trying to distract others or get in trouble and doesn't really drift off a whole lot. Um, when somebody does, um, that's a problem. Uh, it's a behavior problem for the student. But what about the little girl or little boy who is sitting by the window, quietly watching the leaves move on the tree outside and imagining that there are little fairies dancing. That kid is just going to be thought of as not too bright, a little spacey, and probably an underachiever. And they mm -hmm. are not going to be the subject of anybody's attention when in fact, that girl may be the brightest kid in the room, but her mind works in a different way and the teacher's not reaching her. It's so interesting as a special education teacher, I've worked with the younger students and I've seen massive hyperactivity um, throughout the student population. Um, and then I've also worked with older students and with the ADHD, um, usually it's with dealing with lagging skills and executive functioning, um, being able to initiate and follow through, um, mm -hmm. lots of forgetting, you know, to write it yes. down on their planner, forgetting yes. the dates, forgetting the times. Oh, what time I forgot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so those are all the skills that I see with them because their behaviors are different. But it's absolutely fascinating to know that you could have or you could be a woman living in the world today, struggling in other areas and come to find out that you have ADHD. They're usually, they, when they figure it out is usually, be, well, there's a couple of more typical scenarios. So, okay. um, for example, uh, the most, the fastest growing group of women being identified, and I prefer to use the term identified instead of diagnosed because mm -hmm. it just, it just feels less stigmatizing. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I was a psychotherapist for 25 years before I uh, gave up the right to diagnose and become a coach. And mm -hmm. the reason for that is that I, I really didn't want to be identified with a stigmatizing system anymore. And I think that, um, I'm sorry to say this, but there's quite a number of licensed and otherwise competent psychotherapists that would not recognize ADHD in an adult woman who came through their doors um, under any circumstances, because therapists are trained to identify the presenting problem and address the presenting problem. Well, if the woman comes in complaining about being anxious at work, she's going to probably be diagnosed with anxiety. But what if the reason for her anxiety is because she's really struggling with executive function issues, like with her whole list of uh, tasks to do for the day? Right. She doesn't know how to rank them in order of priority. She doesn't know how to sequence them. She doesn't know how to estimate how much time each one will take. She doesn't know how to manage her energy flow throughout the day. She's super sensitive to criticism. She tries to hide the fact that she spaces out during meetings and doesn't want to draw attention to herself by asking her boss to repeat himself. Those are all very typical 
traits of a woman with ADHD, but that woman is going to be diagnosed with anxiety. She'll probably be put on medication. It will help a little with the anxiety, but she will still have ADHD that neither her nor her therapist will know about. And that to me at this point in time is like, it's, it's tragic almost because it's right. If somebody either knows there's something wrong and decides not to do something about it because of the stigma, that's bad enough. But for all the women who know something's wrong and are going for help and getting help, and it's not the right kind of help that really bothers me. And they can still feel even with getting that anxiety, um, diagnosis, they can, um, still feel these ADHD effects as well. Cause that medication probably isn't going to help as much, right? It's absolutely true. Yes. That's a very good question because see what ends up happening is that if a woman has ADHD and even if she's very bright, even if she does very well in school, and even if she does very well in her career, she is always going to notice that she thinks differently. She needs to go about things differently. She addresses problems differently. She tends to do things more intuitively, more um, going by feel and by insight and by trial and error rather than by logic and analysis. So -hmm. depending on what field she's in, that it's, I think that here's a typical example. Do you remember being in grade school and, or even now with the kids that you work with in special ed, you are assigned a math problem. You only get credit for getting the right answer if you can show your work. Well, a girl or a woman with ADHD will often get the right answer, whether it's a math problem or any other kind of problem really fast, but she won't be able to tell you how she got there because the way her brain works is much more on insight and intuition. So she'll have the right answer, but then she'll be told, well, how did you did? How did you do that? I remember so many times uh, being some sort of creative problem solving situation. Mm -hmm. And I would just blurt out something and they would say, that's right. How did you know that? And I literally said, I have no idea. And they thought, I I don't know. they (laughs) They thought I was being cheeky. And I remember years later, I had a boss tell me that I was flippant. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, every time we're doing a brainstorming session, you always come up with some brilliant observation. And then you won't tell anybody how you how you came to that conclusion. And I just started crying because I said, I, I honestly can't tell you how my brain works. I just know that it's different. And I, I don't think anybody should have to feel that kind of shame. It's, can you just imagine like you got the right answer, but you didn't do it the quote unquote right way. So eh, you lose. Right. There's so many situations that we see that in school, especially with my friends with autism, you know, a lot of the times they're like, I don't want to show you how I got to this point. And then it's like, okay, but there's a reason like, I, as a special education teacher, I'm like, okay, I totally get it. Right. Mm -hmm. So standard diploma, but we got to show it so you can get points. Like, is there Mm -hmm. any way that we can, you know, so then it starts out, you know, they're so literal and they're like, no, I'm not going to do that. I got the answer. Um, And then really pushing forward for them to try to show, show what they know because the system isn't built 
for different types of learners. It's no. only for just one, one it's, standard that's, learner. That's exactly right. And this is what I tell my clients. Listen, it's not right and it's not fair, but the world and particularly the institutions, which include public education, mm-hmm. are built by and for the neurotypicals. And because they make up 90% and the neurodiverse, like us, including Mm -hmm. those on the autism spectrum and those with ADHD and other neurobiological brain-based differences, we are the 10% and they cannot understand us. So what we have to do is understand ourselves, do what we need to do to either fit in or, you know, meet those standards And then to the best of our ability, once we're done with that compulsory education, create an occupation and a lifestyle that is suited to the brain we have instead of the one that the other 90% have. That's so interesting, but very true. Um, Yeah, it's, it's very, I love the job that I do. And I know that you had said you were a social worker. That's like one step up from what I do, because it seems like I'm that public school social worker Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) at high school, but just being able to see the differences and advocating for them, like, Hey, teacher, like he does understand, but you you're giving him too many options. I bet Mm -hmm. if you gave him three or four mm, and told him that might even be too much. Yeah. Yeah, I I usually do like three. We usually, yes, it just depends um, on uh, what student is, but then it's easier for them. Then they're like, Oh, okay. Two. They'll pick number two. And I'm like, see, everybody, (laughs) you know, it's just being able to understand. I work with that population for a really long time. So you tend to know um, what they, what works well for them and what doesn't. But back to with the women, Diane, can you tell me like someone that is, has ADHD, does it manifest into other behaviors as well? Or can it? Yes, absolutely. Let's go back to childhood. So the, okay. the girl, I mean, not literally, but the, the uh, <laughs> it's like that for me, that would be a long walk. Okay. So there is uh, the difference in the presentation starts in childhood. And by the way, if anybody listening thinks there is such a thing as adult ADHD, meaning you didn't have ADHD until you were an adult, I don't like the term adult ADHD because it sort of implies that you be later on in life. Yeah. Okay. Like you became ADHD as an adult. It's not possible. If you are ADHD as an adult, you always have been, it's necessary for the traits. I prefer mm-hmm. that word instead of symptoms to be evident in a variety of, you know, different scenarios, not just at school, but at school, at home, in the community, even when you're by yourself, from an early age, um, like seven, eight years old. And I, you know, my, for example, there was a, a comment in one of my report cards, probably the first grade that said, Diane is very bright, but she won't learn a thing unless you tie her to the chair. <laughs> I'm like, wow, geez. What were you doing, Diane? I don't know what I, you know what it was? is that I, uh, it was a combination of ADHD impulsivity and poor eyesight. I have really Mm. bad 
that mm, eyesight. Okay. So I needed to sit in the front row <laughs> because if I sat uh, in the middle or the back, I would become much more interested in what other kids were doing and what they were wearing. And if they were talking to each other or wanted to talk with me or so I was always in the front and center. And because oftentimes I could anticipate what the teacher was going to say next or what question she was mm -hmm. going to ask because my brain was moving so fast. As soon as she would start to ask the question, I would get excited because I knew the answer. So my hand would shoot up in the air and I'd be like, I, I know, I know. <laughs> As you're like, I mean, two feet off the chair. Right, exactly. I'm like levitating the chair because at that time the chair is kind of wrapped around you. And when I stand up, the chair kind of comes with me, you know, the whole desk came with me. Yeah. But instead of saying to my parents, like, Diane's very bright and very eager to learn. And I think maybe she needs to be in another class or we need to give her extra work or maybe she needs to go run laps before she comes in or something. But the teacher said, um, I, that's enough, Diane. Why don't we give someone else a chance? Aww. And I felt so, I mean, I felt so much shame and I got the message loud and clear. Don't be too eager. Don't be too curious. Don't be too passionate. Don't be too extra. Sit down, shut up. Nobody cares if you know the answer. And so I tried really hard to suppress that. Mm -hmm. I, I later realized that that's one of the reasons why I eventually became depressed because I was really going against my given nature. So here's the typical girl with ADHD. If she's the more hyper type, and there's mm -hmm. three different types. They're the more hyperactive, impulsive type. They behave more like the boys and they generally get into trouble. <laughs> um, then there's the ones that think of themselves maybe as more ADD instead of ADHD because they're, they tend to be more introverted. They tend to be more quiet, uh, more in their heads. They may like to read a lot. Um, they may be creative. They might be sitting there instead of listening to the, what the teacher saying, they may be doodling. Mm -hmm. um, they may be looking out the window. They may be daydreaming. Uh, they may be fantasizing. They may be writing stories in their head. It, this has nothing to do with um, whether they're intelligent or not. Oftentimes they're the brightest kids in the room, but yeah. they're not engaged in what's going on. So as long as they're being quiet, they could be quietly underachieving their whole academic career and getting C's or even D's or lower. And they'll, the teachers will just think they're either not very bright or they're unmotivated, neither of which is true. So the hyper kids, um, the girls, generally speaking, will be less physically hyper. They will be more likely to be like I was, talkative, and kind of wiggling around, raising their hand and things like that, but not disruptive in the way that boys are because girls are generally better socialized to the norms of the group. We have more connections between the emotions and the logic mm -hmm. parts in our brain. So we do most of the time a little bit better job of seeing what's expected of us and doing that. So here you have a little girl who's either a little wiggly, a little chatty or a little spacey. <laughs> <laughs> um, and maybe I could think of like the, the seven dwarfs. I got wiggly, chatty, spacey, and yeah. I come up with four more, but she grows up and starts to feel different. Now, usually she's noticing why can't I focus? Why can't I finish what I start? Why can't I keep my mouth shut? Why can't I 
she notices no. that it's harder yes. for her than others. Yes. Yes. Uh -huh. And generally speaking, um, if she's bright, she will notice, she will notice that she's different. And if she doesn't notice it, someone will point it out and usually not in a good way. And here's where things start to become a problem because I believe the whole mess starts with a neurodiverse child mm -hmm. who begins to see or hear that they are different and what they make that mean or what others make it mean and then communicate to them is either going to start that child on thinking I'm different Maybe I'm special. I wonder what that means. What does it mean that I'm different? Does it mean that I can't do things or maybe there's some things I can do better? And it's all in the way that information is handled by the parents, by the teachers, by other important adults in the child's life, whether their difference becomes something unique and special or whether it becomes something shameful and evidence of a defect. And those thoughts about oneself are usually internalized. And the whole dialogue of our self-talk is pretty fully installed by the time we're 12. Uh -oh. And we keep on thinking those thoughts about ourselves for life. As a therapist, I worked with so many women who came to me with diagnosis of depression, anxiety, eating disorders, addictions, all kinds of things and not knowing they were ADHD. And when they finally found out whether they were in their 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s, they almost always said, I just thought I was stupid. Or, oh my God. I just thought I was stupid, or I just thought I was lazy, or I just thought I was broken. My brain didn't work. Those are all the things. And you asked me earlier, are there other problems that come about as a result of ADHD. And I realize I'm taking a very long and windy road to answer it, but no, it's all fascinating. Keep but, going. But there, <laughs> there, there are, this is kind of the ADHD brain at work because we can see the connections between so many things that when we're telling a story or answering our question, we try to include it all. And then it ends up becoming a huge story. But oftentimes a woman doesn't know that that she has ADHD, which I hate the term attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. First of all, most females don't have the hyperactivity, right? So let's just break it down to ADD attention deficit disorder. It's not even accurate. ADD ADHD is not a deficit of attention. It is a dysregulation of the dopamine receptor and how dopamine is regulated and distributed in the brain. We have an attention-based brain. We mm -hmm. do what is interesting to us. We learn what is interesting to us and we can pay attention and focus like a beaver building a dam if it's interesting <laughs> to us. Right. But if it's not, nah. you, can, you, nah. you can threaten us, you can bribe us. You can shame us. You can put us under duress. And maybe in the short run, you might be able to squeeze some effort out of us, but there's no way that that is a sustainable scenario. Now show us something that we can be curious about that we know that we could do and we rise to the challenge like nobody's business, but you have to engage us in a way that works with the dopamine deficient brain and not the neurotypical brain, or you will get into other problems. I mean, think about it. One of the problems that we have or traits is impulsivity. 
Well, mm-hmm. if you don't know that about yourself, I was impulsive every time I shot my hand in the air and blurted out the answer to the teacher's right. question. But that was, if I hadn't been so eager to learn, even though I was shamed for it, can you see how easily mm-hmm. that impulsivity mm-hmm. would lead to an eating disorder or an addiction? Right. Or if you're bullied in school because you're right? shamed, you know, yes. like I, I think about, you know, back when I was a kid and going to school in the eighties, you know, there wasn't a lot of openness about special ed and I don't don't even know if I saw them. They must've been, they must've had them hidden somewhere in another classroom. Um, The special ed kids. Yes. They they had separate classes at that time. And I've had many kids say, I'd rather die than be in special ed because they would take them out of the regular classroom. Usually they had pull out, you know, they Mm -hmm. would take them Mm -hmm. for a couple hours a day or, like there, it was different levels. Like there was either you take them out for a couple hours a day and every kid in the room knew when a kid was leaving to go to special ed and mm-hmm. they would make sounds and roll their eyes and call them names. And you know, a lot of kids start getting into drugs in, in middle school because they feel so much shame being quote sent to special ed. It's like they're being sent to you know, uh, prison or something. And all the kids know. And also before the more long acting medications for ADHD came out back in the eighties and nineties, the medication only lasted four hours, which wouldn't get a kid through the school day. So so you got to go to the nurse. That's exactly right. So they would take the the first dose in the morning at home with breakfast, they would go to school, they would do okay for the first four hours. And then when it the short acting doses when they wore off, <laughs> they wore off so suddenly like that kid was like freaking Jekyll and Hyde. And then they would be, they'd have to do the walk of shame down to the nurse's office and get the second dose. And within an hour they were back to, you know, well medicated. I've had that before with the littles or teaching yeah. the littles and then grandma was babysitting or something and they forget. And then it was like, kids all over the place. And then the grandparents go, Oh, I'm so sorry. We forgot the medicine. Ah, okay. Don't forget tomorrow. Yes. But you know, think about it. Exhausted poor guy. He's been trying to regulate all day and he can't. Right. Well, what's so true about that is that when kids don't have even an entire school day properly medicated, if they need it, they, their behavior and their self-concept of being able to learn, being able to perform, being able to succeed just gets jacked around like nobody's business. So whether they're smart or not as smart, whether they are medicated or not medicated, almost all of these kids grow up with a lot of doubt about what they're capable of. And the long-term effect of that Julia, is that they underachieve, meaning they don't go for the jobs that they would really like to have. They Mm -hmm. go for the job that they're sure they won't get fired from. Mm. And that is true of relationships too. I've seen, and I've heard this from so many girls, like they're not going to go after the guy that they really want. They'll go after the guy who has problems because at least if he finds out they have ADHD or if he sees their struggles, then, you know, he's they're like equals. 
It's kind of like, I've had plenty of women tell me I, I would never date a guy who didn't have mental problems because <laughs> I, just, I know it sounds so bizarre, but they were like, I just feel more comfortable with other people that are messed up. And I'm like, and, and we laugh, but yeah, it's we like, laugh and it's true. It is true because it's like, well, if you come to think of yourself as stupid, damaged, broken, less than defective, deficient, you know, whatever you, you want to think about it, unmotivated, um, of course, you're going to set your sights low. Of course, you're going to hold yourself back. And of course, you're going to associate with other people who are not doing so well, because that's what you think of as your peer group. Ooh. And then a lot of the times too, when you have to hide in shame and, you know, keep up with peers and pretend like nothing is wrong, then you're not allowing yourself to really learn the skills that you need for your brain to work so comfortably. Yes. And, and the thing that's interesting one, I think one of the things that's really interesting about ADHD is that Yes, there are things about the ADHD brain that are challenging. Like, for example, memory. Like you and I had a terrific conversation. It wasn't two weeks ago. It might have been last week. I don't remember Mm -hmm. when it was. Mm -hmm. I don't remember anything about it. Just that I really enjoyed it. And it's it's not personal. Like, you know, we could be new best friends. I wouldn't remember. And so I used to experience so much shame about that. Like to the point where not only when I would have conversations with people, then later that day or the next day, I wouldn't remember the conversation. I have forgotten entire meetings that I ran. I I don't remember even being there, much less what was said. And that's like, I started thinking, do I have like brain rot, you know, like dementia. (laughs) Yes. I'm like, Oh my goodness. I've always been my brain hardening. (laughs) Right. I know. I was like, something is seriously wrong. Well, now I know that it is part of the ADHD brain. I have a very high IQ and the things that I'm good at, I am like ridiculously good at, but the executive functions, I need a lot of structure Mm -hmm. and a lot of support and my memory Hey, it's a crapshoot. I just say, you know, if you tell me something, um, maybe I'll remember or maybe I won't. If it's really important to you that I do, would you please follow up with me in writing? Yeah. Or do you write yourself a lot of notes and stuff? Or maybe all the time, all the time. I have a big whiteboard here in my home office. I have pen and paper with me everywhere. I have sticky notes. I have the note function on my phone. Um, I voice, uh, voice to text message myself all the time. It's kind of like you've heard the expression out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. We are visual learners. So when I can see it, then I can remember it. And I have to be very discriminating about how many things I put in my visual field, because (laughs) if I put every possible thing I want to remember and not forget that there's so many things, my brain can't distinguish between which ones are important and have priority and are urgent and which ones I can get to sooner or later. So I have to create a lot of systems for what kinds of things I put right in front of me. And then like, for example, I have like layers of, of things. So these are the things that I have to look at today. The ones I have to look at tomorrow are separate and they come mm-hmm. up with a reminder. 
you know, otherwise I'll forget they exist. I would forget to pay my taxes. I have forgotten to pick up my kids. Okay. Like I have three kids. I love them to death, but seriously, if I was like up to my eyelashes in a project at the end of a work day in the past, when they were still at home and in daycare after school, I could literally forget to go get them. They're like, uh, are you going to come and get your kids? You're right? like, who's kids? My kids and, are here. Right? Like, what kids? <laughs> no. But actually, you know, what turned out to be really good is that, of course, we didn't have cell phones at that time. But um, I knew that if I wasn't there by six o'clock on the dot, there was a $5 penalty per child for Uh-oh. every, I'm not kidding, for every minute after six, I am way too cheap to pay that kind of fine. So I got there and you better believe it. I think I only had to pay one time and I'm like, this is never happening again. I was so mad at myself. You're like, this is a huge consequence. That's a huge yes. reminder. Yeah. And, yeah. And then, and then I would think of it as like, if I get there before six, I'm like winning, you know? So the more I could make things a game, Mm-hmm. the better it would be. Now, I let me tell you, I probably sound like I feel very comfortable with my ADHD and you know, I'm making jokes about it and right. probably sound like I have a lot of confidence. And to tell you the truth, at this stage of my life, I do. And here's what it took because I used to be very ashamed. I hid it to the best of my ability for many years. Mm. Uh, I was actually very proud of the fact that I could quote unquote pass for normal. That was my goal. Wow. I did not want anyone to know. And I thought I was doing a better job than I evidently was covering it up. Number one. Uh, Number two, it's absolutely related to the fact that I've been divorced twice. Right. I was going to say what fell apart during the hiding. Yes. It's absolutely related to getting into relationships impulsively. Mm-hmm. And then feeling like, oh, better I've made my bed now. I better stay in it. Mm-hmm. And um, and also just not really knowing what it takes to be a wife, to be, you know, not really understanding what like all marriage, the roles, yeah. yeah, like all the all the expectations. And you know, one of the things that I've come to understand and accept about being a high ability woman with ADHD mm-hmm. is that I have a very high need for stimulation. I am a very intense person. It is baked into the system. It is not a character trait. It is not a preference. It is just neurologically how I am. So is that common though? With Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. In fact, uh, most I work with other women like me now, and a lot of them, one of my clients that I adore, her name is Nora. She has a PhD in physical therapy, her own business, and is a former Olympic weightlifter. She's badass. Total badass. (laughs) I tell her that all the time. I just actually, when she completed my coaching program, Uh I I made her a certificate of badassery and I sent it to her. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, legit. I really did. Um, These are the type of women I I like to work with because they are the ones who nobody would ever believe have ADHD and they experience a real disconnect because on the one hand, they have these incredible strengths and gifts, some would call superpowers, but then they have these other areas that they're like, I could not do this if you put a gun to my head. Like for me, 
I can't cook or bake. I can't. It's the sequencing and, and you have to follow the recipe so precisely and, and you have to make the vegetables and the meat and everything come out at the right temperature on the right, at the same time. It's like, mm-hmm. oh my God. But, but I could give, my gift is my verbal skills. Oh, so I could get up in front of a room full of people, totally unprepared and give a 30 minute presentation, no slides, no props, no nothing, and have people like give me a standing ovation. And yet then I could walk out of the room and spend 30 minutes looking for my car and be in tears. Like it's so- You forgot where you put it or you put oh, your keys. I, and you seriously, you're gonna love this, Julia. One time I actually reported my car stolen to the police because <laughs> I- <laughs> I spent an hour looking for it in the wrong parking in the wrong parking lot. It's like, oh my gosh. Like, no ma'am, it's right here. But that's so that's so it's so paradoxical. You know, uh, there are a lot of women with ADHD who are kind of starting, I say come out of the ADHD closet, some mm-hmm. very high profile actresses, dancers, singers, athletes entrepreneurs. Um, a lot of them are in, uh, first responder kind of situations. They are emergency room doctors, skydiving instructors, like they do intense things. And my husband is, he's a very smart guy and I adore him, but he Mm -hmm. has a fear of heights. So when I went skydiving, my kids took me skydiving for a milestone birthday. And uh, Mm -hmm. I said, you can't be there because he would be, he was so worried for me. He so (laughs) desperately didn't want me to do it. I said, dude, you're just, you're you're really ruining this for me. You need to go home. (laughs) You're really being a downer. Well, worry somewhere else. Yeah. You know, and then, and because I said, I'm going to be fine, even though there's a 17 page consent that just (laughs) over and over and over, you do realize you could die or be totally dismembered. I like, I, I know, like, who doesn't know that? You're it's, like, you don't need to tell me that. Let me just sign away. Dude, it's skydiving. Like, come on. Of course, you know that. But I need to do things like that. I need to do intense things. I need to do challenging things. Like I have no business starting an internet based business at this stage of my life. I did not grow up with technology. But I need things that are gritty to mm-hmm. challenge me and to, to really like grab me by the brain and pull me in. I can't do normal things because they're not interesting enough. And I boredom is a life-threatening condition for someone like me. And that's why so many women with ADHD get into drugs Ooh. and toxic relationships. I just did a podcast interview with a psychologist who specializes in toxic relationships. And mm-hmm. I see a lot of women with ADHD have toxic relationships. I have been in abusive relationships with my myself. And I think it's because they're intense. They meet Keep you some, on your toes, kind of They no, like, it's that you know, like, it's or this, elevate you somehow. It's this dopamine thing, mm. right? Like I think about the dopamine thing is that, you know, it rewards us and makes us want, it's kind of like this, you know, you, you do something and your brain gives you a little chemical reward. And you're like, Ooh, I like that. So you do it mm-hmm. again. Your mm-hmm. brain gives you another reward. 
most people's brains are rewarded by just like cleaning their room and their parent says, oh, honey, that looks so good. And their brain is just bathed in dopamine and they just float out the door happy as can be. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, oh, it's going to take a lot more than that to kickstart my brain, honey. You know, like, so we have a tendency to gravitate towards intense people, intense occupations, intense experiences. And some of those are um, not good for us. They're not good, good, for, good us. for you. They're very risky, but that's also why so many women with ADHD become entrepreneurs because they say you'd have to be crazy to work for yourself because it's so unstable and mm -hmm. you don't have any, you know, paid benefits, paid time off, uh, especially the serial entrepreneurs, because you get to do the exciting work of making your ideas come to life. Mm -hmm. And we don't appreciate risk when we want to do something, we will do it. Other people would say, Oh my God, I would never jump out of a perfectly good plane. And I think boring. <laughs> perfectly good. Place. That's what they, that's what they say. When they I I went skydiving and I had all these people go, oh my god, like I would never jump out of a perfectly good plane. I said, yeah, I've heard that one before. It's not original, but um, I said and, you're like lame. And sometimes I want to be a little snarky and say, and you don't have to, sister. But the truth is, I need people like me in my life because ninety percent of the people on the planet are not like me. It's and true. while I like mm -hmm. them and I can live among them, I need contact with my own people so that I don't end up feeling like a freak. It can be right. very lonely to mm -hmm. be neurodiverse and be surrounded by nothing but neurotypicals. You end up feeling like, why can't I just be satisfied with life the way everyone else seems to be? Well, because you can be, but you can't go about it the same way they do. And it's so isolating too, because you can't just come out and talk to people about it. Because sometimes, you know, even if it's like, they don't mean to, they like stop and pause. So then you're like, oh, they blink 17 times in a row. Mm -hmm. It's because they're embarrassed or they're judging me. Or they're wondering all these things about me now, you know, yeah. it's just, it's getting better. I do uh, think it is getting better, but here's one of the things about being ADHD that make it difficult. Most of us have something called rejection sensitive dysphoria, which Ooh, tell me I don't, yeah, I don't want to, I don't, I don't, some people like to call it RSD. I'm like, listen, you do not need another set of letters. Trust me. But the ADHD brain is very, very quick at making connections and is very intuitive. So when we suspect that somebody is judging us, somebody is criticizing us, somebody is thinking badly of us, they might just be looking at us like, what the hell is she thinking? And we feel this wave of shame and it mm -hmm. either triggers a sense of anger and then you become that rebellious. Well, F you then, you know, I didn't like you anyway. And you, you kind of the, become that teenager that gets involved with the bad kids and, yeah. you know, starts being all emo and, you know, stuff like that. Or you just pull back and start trying to play it safe because it's excruciating to feel that rejection. Now, most of the people I work with are 
ridiculously creative. They are so talented. They are so smart. They have such brilliant ideas, Mm -hmm. but they're perfectionists and they are rejection sensitive. So can you imagine? It's like, I have these really great ideas. I want to create a business. I want to put my work out in the world, but I'm deathly afraid that other people will think it sucks and they'll think I suck. And uh, then it spirals into self sabotage and you got all the it. things. And then you, yeah, you got it. And you know, this is not something that only people with ADHD experience. A lot of other people experience it too, but, but people with ADHD experience it to a greater degree. And um, so and it's, it's just, it's, the, it's just from the way that their neurochemistry is though, right? Yeah. It's a, we got a fast moving brain mm-hmm. that makes connections very quickly and much more easily than a neurotypical brain. You could think of it as like linear versus nonlinear. In fact, I was just reading this earlier today. Um, think of it this way. A neurotypical brain is like, like the normal transportation system of highways and freeways. Mm-hmm. An ADHD brain <laughs> is more like the internet. Ooh. Everything can connect to everything. All the time. 24 all the seven. time. All the time. So can you imagine like, you know, and, and that's why so many of us are in creative fields and so many of us are performers and so many of us are entrepreneurs who literally disrupt industries and change the world because it's like click, 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 click. We can take something from a totally different field and apply it to the field we're in. And everybody would like, oh my God, how did you do that? Well, and it's I don't just know. literally like <laughs> surfing the internet, like click, 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 click. I constantly, it, it, and I, how I realized this about myself is that I have had people say, you always express yourself in analogies and metaphors. And I realize. Yeah, I, I do. I do that for two reasons. One, it helps me remember what I said. I mm-hmm. make I make word pictures. And two, um, it's natural for me to make word pictures because my brain connects things that don't seem to be connected. And then when I explain that to someone else, the typical thing I'll hear is, you know what? You're absolutely right. I just never thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I know, right? But it's like, could I tell you how I made that connection? I have no idea. My, no. My, my expression now is, well, they would say like, oh, come on. And I'm like, no, I'm not holding out on you. I literally don't know. I can't retrace my steps because my brain moves so fast. Like just literally, like if you're doing an internet search and you're going click, 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 click. Like I don't, didn't, I'm glad you, you reminded me how we met. I didn't remember how we met. I knew it was online, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I, that's See? what I'm good for. See? Your memory. See? Hey, oh, God. Can I hire you as my auxiliary memory? I, I need yeah. just, just follow me around for the rest of my life and tell me what I just said. <laughs> so what would you tell, we're going to wrap up the show here, but what would you say to any of the l- listeners now for, you know, getting some hope for maybe even learning that they might have ADHD or what okay. should they do? Yes, that's a fantastic question. So you're good for that too, asking good questions. Yes. Bravo. Okay, so here's what I think. If anyone listening is thinking, you know, 
I wonder if that could be me. If you have children and one or more of your children has been identified with ADHD, there's a strong chance that you could be too, because it is highly genetic. So Ooh. there's that. If you don't have kids or your none of your kids have ADHD, but you identify with some of the things I've said or some of the questions I've raised or even just how freaking talkative I am. Um, <laughs> and you're like, I don't feel bad about it anymore. Even, you know, even though I realize other people are like, whoa, you just never stop. <laughs> and I've lost friends. I have lost friends from it. I had mm -hmm. a friend say, we went away for the weekend and you never stopped talking the whole time. And honestly, I said, I was just really excited. excited. I was really excited to be there. And she said, it was exhausting. And I mm. said, I, I wish you would have said something. You mm. know, like I, I have worked very hard on my rejection sensitivity and if it's a relationship that I value, even though I might feel embarrassed and hurt, I'll say, thank you for, thank you for telling me so I can do something about it. Hmm. If you're just going to quietly judge me and not give me a chance to fix it until after the fact that's, yeah, that's not right. So, so I think if anybody's listening and thinking, wow, God, that could be me. Um, the first thing I would recommend is that you get your hands on a copy of a book called delivered from distraction by mm -hmm. Dr. Ned Hallowell. I recommend this to everyone as a first step because he is literally like the grandfather of ADHD. And he, <laughs> I am not kidding. He's in his late sixties. He is a professor from, from Harvard. He has been a award-winning psychiatrist. He has ADHD himself. And Ooh. he has so many years of expertise. That is the book that I read that helped me figure out, actually, this is me too. I would also suggest if you want to uh, read some more as a woman with ADHD, check out my website, dianewingertcoaching.com mm -hmm. and have a listen to my podcast, The Driven Woman, um, because you will just hear me talk about ADHD and how I take a positive spin on it by just deciding, Hey, listen, if you are this way, you might as well embrace it and figure out how to make it work for you because shame and hiding and feeling lousy about yourself. You don't need to do that, but no. edu educate yourself, inform yourself. And as an adult, and I, I know that people are probably listening from all over the States and Canada, and maybe even outside the U S I know that it can be difficult as an adult to get diagnosed because not all doctors are up to date on the fact that ADHD does persist into adulthood. And a lot of them think that if you haven't already been diagnosed and you're 30, 40, whatever years old, that you're probably not. Um, and that's just not true. So you, that's why mm -hmm. I recommend reading the book first, because when you really understand what's going on with you, you're in a much better position to advocate for yourself. For yourself, yeah. With, with a doctor and with others. That right, would be and the then step. you can meet with other doctors too if you're not happy with the one that you have um, that might not understand you all the way. And well, when, and 
The other thing is you got to know first, like it, you really have to educate and inform yourself first, because otherwise, if you just, let's say you just stop listening to this episode and you turn to your partner or your sister or your mother or your friend or your boss and say, you know what? I have ADHD. ADHD. <laughs> so one of two things will probably happen. Either they'll go, no, you don't. Or they'll say, no, maybe one of three things. They'll say, no, you don't. And that'll just shut you down. But you actually might. Or they'll say, oh, everybody has that, which is oh. true. Or they'll say, well, of course you do, everybody. I mean, you, you are, are you we just- could have told you that 10 years ago. Right. Are you just figuring that out? None of those is going to feel good. But if you have read the book or listened to the book, because not everybody with ADHD can actually read a book, um, that you can listen to it on Audible, listen to it or read it and inform yourself and go through the checklist. Because chances are, if you are ADHD and you need to get some kind of help, um, you will need to advocate for yourself and you, yeah. you will need to teach the people around you to see you in a new way. Right. But it starts with you. Oh, I love this conversation. Me oh, I'm, too. So glad we, I'm so glad we're neighbors. Almost. I know. And promise me when this ridiculous quarantine is over. Well, it's not ridiculous. It's necessary, but yes, it's, it's going on so long. I know. I, I hate being locked up like this. Um, we're, we're going to go meet IRL and yes, yes, have, yes. Have fun. Now, where can my listeners get a hold of you? You okay. said your website earlier, but give us all yeah. the details. Diane Wingert coaching.com. And I have a funky spelling of my name. It's D I A N N. Please don't give me an E. Mm-hmm. So, and you probably want to put that in the show notes. Uh, again, the podcast is the driven woman podcast. And mm-hmm. I am on Instagram at coach Diane Wingert, Facebook at Diane Wingert coaching and LinkedIn at Diane Wingert coaching. Oh, you can take a quiz amazing. too on my, on my website. You can take a quiz. What is your ADHD signature strength? You can get a freebie download that says uh, the six steps to ADHD mastery. Um, I have I have a lot of good stuff. And I think the podcast is a lot of fun. Oh, by the way, it does have an a, explicit rating because I do let the occasional, you know, F-bomb, F-bomb other juicy words out. So yes. uh, if that bothers you, uh, well, you're probably not listening to Julia if it bothers you. So <laughs> right. That's true. I, I guess say- I don't, I guess I don't have to warn them about that. Yeah, do I? that's true. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And I am so excited to get this episode out. My pleasure. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in the flesh very soon. Yes. Yes. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into yet another episode. If you would like to learn more about me, please visit my website at juliabusby.com. Until next week, be kind to your mind and keep shining.